We are grateful for Dustin Patton leading out in worship today along with our worship team and our choir as Pastor Eric is away with his family uh, for a few days. And it's a blessing to be able to sing to the Lord together. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. And the message I have for you today is entitled, A Faithful Prayer Life. And it's in the context of our series, Conformed to the Image of Jesus. And we're going to look at one verse in particular, but in the context of the broader narrative that's taking place in Matthew 14. As we think about what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus, we're reminded that spiritual formation is the process of becoming more like Jesus for the glory of God, for our good, and for the blessing of others. It is God's plan for your life and for mine that we grow to be like Jesus. And I want to make a statement that I think is going to set the tone for this message And I want us to think very carefully about what I'm about to say. There is no greater measure of the health of your spiritual life than your relationship with God through prayer. Let me repeat that for emphasis. There is no greater measure of the health of your spiritual life than your relationship with God through prayer. Let me say also at the outset today that the intent of this message is not to discourage you if you're not where you need to be in your prayer life with God, but rather to encourage you and to let you know the life that God has invited you into with him and what that means to walk with him faithfully, the blessing that can come to you if you find your spiritual life in him and you're walking with him as you should. Prayer is talking to and listening to God through his word and his spirit. And I would say, admittedly, prayer is at times difficult. And it's difficult for a number of reasons. Sometimes discipleship is lacking in our lives and we've simply not been taught how to pray faithfully. Sometimes our bodies are weak and we're just tired from family stress and from work and other stressors in life. And the temptation not to pray or not to pray faithfully is strong. Sometimes our faith is deficient and we're not able to clearly see how God is working in our lives and how he can help us overcome challenges. At other times, our focus is unclear and we find it difficult simply to pay attention. And then at times we resist that time alone with God because we have a fear that if we get before the Lord, just us and him, we're going to see ourselves for what we truly are and who we truly are. And we resist that at times because we don't want to really see that. F.B. Meyer in his work, The Secret of Guidance, said, the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but rather unoffered prayer. Prayer is the cultivation of your spiritual life And it is the exercise of your spiritual life with God. Now, if you've ever been around farming or maybe you just had a garden in your backyard or maybe you just planted a garden in the flower bed or something, uh, some plants there for uh, something to be yielded, then you know how important cultivation is. Cultivation is tilling and refining the soil. It's digging or cutting into the soil to prepare it for planting. 
If you're doing it on a large scale, you might use a tractor or maybe if you've got a good-sized garden out in your backyard, you might use a, a rototiller to do that. Or if you're just planting something in the flower bed, you might use a hand tool to do it. But the purpose of that cultivation is to make the soil suitable for planting and then to help the plants grow better. Prayer is the cultivation of your spiritual life because in it you are refining the spiritual soil of your life and you are preparing it in such a way that you can grow in the likeness of Jesus. Now one thing we know for sure about the life of Jesus is that Jesus demonstrated a faithful prayer life. Jesus was a man of prayer. T.W. Hunt wrote in his book, The Doctrine of Prayer, about the prayer life of Jesus. And in it, he noted the prayers of Jesus were many and they were varied. He said Jesus prayed in the morning and at night. He prayed alone and he prayed when others were present. He prayed in large public gatherings and he prayed with small groups. He prayed during miracles. He prayed to bless a meal. He prayed to bless people and children. He prayed in the major decisions of life as well as in the moments of great crisis. And in that, we see the breadth of the prayer life of Jesus and how that might apply to our lives as well. The context of our passage today is in the feeding of the 5,000, followed by the miracle of Jesus walking on the water and rescuing his disciples. Both of these miracles serve the purpose of authenticating the identity of Jesus as the Messiah and the exercise of his divine power as well as his compassion for people and his concern to bless and minister to others. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 13 through 22, we find Jesus in the region of the Galilee. The Galilee is a region of Israel that's about 50 miles from the north to the south and about 25 miles from east to west. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that within the region of the Galilee, there were over 200 villages and towns. Now understand, many of those villages were very small. They may only have been a handful of people or a couple of family units or a small gathering of the people who lived there. But there were even so a lot of people, even though they were scattered out, and they were constantly seeking after Jesus. So Jesus crosses over the Sea of Galilee to be alone, a distance of about eight miles. But there he finds a large crowd who is gathered, waiting for him on the other side of the lake as he arrived. And he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Evening came, and the disciples said to Jesus, Listen, this place is deserted. Uh, it's already late. Send the crowds away so that they can buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You need to give them something to eat. And they replied to Jesus, but we've only got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring them to me. And he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish. And he looked up to heaven to his father and he blessed them. And in that moment, the food was miraculously multiplied to the point that everybody ate until they were full. And not only did they eat until they were full and satisfied, but there were even 12 baskets of food left over. Jesus then made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. 
And I want us to focus on the verse that follows in Matthew 14 and verse 23. And here's how it reads. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. After the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sent the crowd away. He ordered his disciples away. And he was eager to spend time alone with God the Father in prayer. And what I want to do in these few moments that we have together today is I want to share with you three principles for practicing a faithful prayer life. And I want you to understand that these are not principles that are exhaustive because prayer is multifaceted. Prayer is our fellowship with God, meaning that there is no single form of prayer that is going to exhaust all that prayer is. There are many different kinds of prayers because there are many elements of our relationship with God. But that personal walk with God that we've all been invited into and these principles that arise out of that from the life and the ministry of Jesus can provide for us some foundation for how we pray and how we apply this to our spiritual lives. The first principle is this. A faithful prayer life recognizes the need to pray. Recognizes the need to pray. Now, nobody who has ever lived has had more demands on their life than Jesus in his public ministry. Nobody. The people were constantly trying to get near him because they knew there was something different about him. When John the Baptist was beheaded, Jesus tried to go to a lonely place to mourn and to pray, but the crowds found him. He healed the sick and he fed the hungry. But even in the midst of all of that busyness, he still realized his own need to pray. And we find another example of the busy schedule of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 tells us of how Jesus spent the better part of a day in the synagogue teaching. And if you've taught for any length of time at all, you know that it's very exhausting because you're working both your mind and your body. And he had done this for an extended time. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching as one who had authority. And in the middle of it, a man with an unclean spirit interrupted and Jesus dealt with him and cast out the demons. And in the afternoon, Jesus went to the house of Peter and Andrew and Peter's mother-in-law was in the bed sick and Jesus healed her. About the same time, crowds were gathering outside of the house waiting to be ministered to by Jesus. And there were people among them who were possessed by demons and also sick people with various diseases. And what did Jesus do? He went out and ministered to them. But I also want to note that he knew even though busyness was at his doorstep, that he needed to spend time in prayer. He recognized the need for it. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Now, some of you have convinced yourself that you're too busy to be focused in your prayer life. You've convinced yourself that you've got so much to do, and maybe even you think you're so important that it just crowds it out. You don't have time to pray as you should. This is an epidemic of modern life. Uh, Amy Bentley wrote an article a few years back entitled The Busyness Epidemic, 
And in it, uh, she said, if you ask people how they are, they're going to tell you almost immediately how busy they are. Busyness in that sense has become almost a statement of worth or personal value in our culture. And Bentley wrote, experts on stress and wellness and helicopter parenting in the modern work culture say that busyness has become an epidemic in the U.S. to the point that many people now regard downtime as something that should be avoided. Quoted also in the article was Bridget Schultz, who wrote, overwhelmed, work, love, and play when no one has the time. And she said, we've made busyness almost like the price of admission for the modern life. We talk about it as though it's a status symbol. If you're not doing anything, there's something wrong with you. You're a loser. So when people are not busy, they create it to fit in. And our culture right now is gearing us all toward a crazy lifestyle that nobody really wants. If you are not intentional in the busyness of life, and understand our responsibilities vary depending on what place God has put you in, what your vocation is, what your current family status is, the other responsibilities that you've taken on. Busyness is real, and there are things that have to be done. But if you are not intentional in the busyness of life, about your prayer life, it will be detrimental to your spiritual life, and it will be deadly to your prayer life. But I also want to note here, ultimately, busyness is a symptom And the heart is the root of the problem. The priorities that we set about what really matters to us is really the problem. And a lack of prayer is rooted in a lack of dependence. Where we're operating out of a sense of self-sufficiency. And we default to God when there's a crisis. But we don't depend on God in the day-to-day experience of life. Jesus lived in dependence in the relationship that he had with his heavenly father. And if Jesus, the son of God, expressed that type of dependence, then how much more do we need it? After Jesus healed the disabled man at the pool of Bethesda, he said in John 5 and verse 19 and 20, Truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. As it was between Jesus and the father, so it should be between us and God. And without ceasing to be God, Jesus lived as a man showing us how we are to live. And Jesus said that what the people had seen in the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda, that God would show even greater works than these. But what I often wonder is, are we living with a spirit of dependence to the point that we also have a spirit of expectation that God is going to do the greater works? What are we really believing or thinking that God can do? What are we expecting that God will do? Or are we just going through the motions? And just going along to get along. Do you depend on God through prayer? A faithful prayer life is going to recognize the need to pray. And then the second principle is that a faithful prayer life realizes the need to be alone to pray. Look again at Matthew 14 and verse 23. It says, Jesus went up on a mountain. How? 
by himself. And then for emphasis, it says, he was there alone. The Gospels take particular note of Jesus getting alone for prayer. And what is in view there is solitude that is important as a spiritual practice. And it is beneficial to our prayer lives. What is solitude? It's the state of being alone. Uh, It's the practice of getting alone with God in prayer. Meditating on his word. enjoying, Enjoying his fellowship. Psalm 46 and verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. But here's what I also know. Some people fear solitude. And the reason they fear it is they're afraid of what they will discover if they get quiet and alone before God. It's a lot easier to keep up that exterior, that veneer that can border on or even be hypocrisy if we're not really drawing near to God. But it's when we get close to God that we see ourselves for who we really are and we see him for who he really is. And we understand that there is nothing that is hidden from the sight of God. And that's not something to be afraid of. That's something to be drawn toward because the one who knows you best is also the one who loves you most. It's the beauty of it. Yes, it's somewhat painful to draw near because you're seeing things that you really don't want to think about or you don't really want to evaluate in your life, but it's there that spiritual change takes place. And when we get along with God in that quiet time and that state of mind and, and attitude of our hearts, we realize that we're truly never alone when we're with God. And there are a number of examples in the Old Testament of people getting alone with God. I think about Moses meeting with the Lord regularly at the tabernacle. I think about Elijah meeting with the Lord both in his defeat and in his victory. I think about one of the most powerful examples being Jacob meeting alone with God. You remember Jacob's life was one that was a, seemed to be a never-ending struggle. A lot of it was for his own reasons and his own doing, his own actions. But God promised Jacob that from him would come a great nation, even a whole company of nations. And there was a particularly pivotal point in his life where he's preparing to be reunited with his brother Esau. Now, you remember the backstory of that. Uh, he had taken his birthright from him, and Esau had vowed to kill him. So Jacob's concerned about that, and he sends what amounts to a bribe and a caravan of gifts in hopes of a, hopefully appeasing his brother. And Jacob knew that he was powerless to control his fate, And so he collapsed into a deep sleep on the banks of the Jabbok River. And that's where the real struggle began. Because an angelic visitor came uh, to uh, Jacob and they wrestled through the night until daybreak. And Jacob was actually crippled with a blow to his hip. And it gave him a limp that he would keep for the rest of his life. But it was there also that he realized what actually had happened. And Genesis 32 and verse 30 says... I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Jacob, the deceiver, was given a new name, Israel. And it was there that God blessed Jacob. Now, what took place in that struggle? I think an evident surrender of his will to the will of God. And that's what takes place for us. 
when we get alone with God to pray. We also understand that when we get alone with God, we might end up with a spiritual limp, but we'll be better for it. And the reason we might end up with a spiritual limp is because God might just need to get our attention and spiritual growth often involves struggle and pain. And then we see Jesus regularly withdrawing from the presence of others in order to spend time alone with the Father. The Bible says in Luke 5 and verse 16 that Jesus often withdrew. Not just occasionally, not just every now and then, but he often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. He spent time alone praying in preparation for his service to the world. He spent 40 days in the wilderness at the beginning of his public ministry. He spent time alone praying before important decisions. In fact, he prayed alone an entire night in prayer before he chose his 12 disciples. Jesus prayed in times of great distress in his life. Hours before he was arrested, he went to the Mount of Olives and he went a short distance away from his disciples to pray. He knew full well what was facing him in the cross. And he was going alone in that time to commune with the Father and to ask the Father that if it was possible that that cup would pass from him, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And once again, it was a yielding of the will of the Son to the will of the Father to accomplish his mission to the world. What is God doing in our lives that he wants to accomplish in his mission to the world that we might miss out on if we don't get time alone with him in prayer. Perhaps you've heard of the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station. It sits on two miles of glacial ice at the bottom of the world. I'm told that it's one of the most remote places on the planet, more than 800 miles away from the nearest human being. That's hard to even fathom. And a small group of people have gathered there historically to do scientific research Uh, for the United States Antarctic program. One particular individual who took part in that research was a man by the name of Brett Badorf. He was commissioned uh, to be a missionary of sorts to the others who were there. And he said in his uh, story that he expected to find that the silence and the solitude of the South Pole would actually rattle his connection with Christ. But instead, he said it ended up being the blessing of solitude. He said, I should have known better. Christ frequently withdrew to desolate places, often at night. So while our environment, speaking of that location there, elicits plenty of side effects and moments of tension over time, he said, Christians, especially here, have leaned into instead of away from the solitude. Now, I understand that in the modern non-Antarctic world, it can be quite difficult to find places to be alone. All of us are surrounded by real and virtual community virtually 24 hours a day. So what we have to do is we have to make it a focus to find that time of meditation with our God and not be afraid of the stillness and the silence and the solitude and the prayer that is birthed out of that. You have to make it a priority. And a faithful prayer life realizes the need to be alone to pray. How often are you alone 
with God in prayer? Is it a focus of your life? If it's not, it should be and it can be. And you can grow through it. There's a third and final principle. And that is a faithful prayer life requires time to pray. Now, Matthew 14 and verse 23 does not give us insight into the exact amount of time that Jesus took to pray. But we do have other examples of it in the scripture. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 that I referenced earlier where Jesus got up a long while before dawn and he had an extended prayer time with the Father. I think also about the uh, parable of the persistent widow that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 18. Uh, You remember Jesus said that men ought to always pray and not lose heart as he opened in in verse 1. And there was a widow in that particular parable who had been wronged and she appealed to help for help to an unjust judge uh, represented in the story who had no interest at first in helping her. But when she persisted, he finally gives her relief. And what was Jesus doing in that parable? He was contrasting the situation with our loving God who willingly uh, responds to the needs of his children. And he says in Luke 18 and verse 7, And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night? Prayer takes time, and an extended time of prayer with God can be extremely beneficial for your relationship with Him. Did you know that people do what they want to do? They prioritize what they want to prioritize. They go where they want to go ultimately. So what's important to us is what we're going to focus on. And if we're not understanding our need for prayer and we're not getting alone with God for it, and we don't think that we have time to commit to God for extended prayer, it's because we don't want to. It's not all that important to us. I read an article in the Navigator's Ministry uh, publication uh, that was entitled, How to Spend Extended Time in Prayer. And in it, Lauren Sani, who's the former uh, Navigator's president, the discipleship ministry president, was quoted, and he said this in reference to an extended time of prayer. He said, the result of your prayer should be answers to two questions that Paul asked the Lord on the Damascus Road, referencing Acts chapter 22. He said, Paul's first question was, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus. He said, in your extended prayer time, you are seeking to know him, to find out who he is. He said, the second question that Paul asked is, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord answered him specifically. And he said, this ought to be answered and reconfirmed for you as well. So what are you looking for in that extended prayer time alone with God in the quietness of the moment? To know him? To worship him? To glorify him? To draw closer to him? And then when you walk away from it, To be able to answer the question, Lord, what do you want me to do now? How should I respond to your word and to your spirit? Prayer takes time. And the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And we ought to do the same thing. Are you prioritizing time in your life? in the middle of all those things you have to take care of 
those responsibilities that you've been asked to steward in your life? Are you taking time and making that a focus so that you can grow spiritually? Or are you short-circuiting your conformity to the image of Jesus because you've convinced yourself you don't have time? Church, you cannot afford to not take the time to pray because it's the core of that spiritual life with God. I'm going to give you this quote and I'm going to come toward a close and also time of invitation and response. It's a quote from G. Campbell Morgan and here's what he said. He said, the matter of supreme importance is that we discover the method of prayer which helps us most actually to realize the presence of God and hold communion with him. The place, the time, the method are matters concerning which there must be individual choice and decision. The matter of supreme importance is the cultivation of the habit of prayer. So this is not a legalistic exercise where there's only one way to apply it. These are principles to live by in which the God who created you, loves you, redeems you, sustains you, is inviting you to life with him. And he's inviting you to cultivate that spiritual life in such a way that you can draw from the living water. And as you draw from the living water, God will give you exactly what you need, not just to survive, but to thrive. Not just to go through the motions, but to live in the middle of a dynamic relationship with God. So I want to ask you this in closing. How is your prayer life with God? If it's dynamic, praise God. Continue to grow it and to prioritize it in your life. But if it's not and you're feeling stale right now, you might even feel like you're out in the desert somewhere and you know that you know Christ, but you're just not where you need to be spiritually. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. And God will draw near to you if you will draw near to him. But you got to take the first step. And today, if your prayer life with God, your spiritual life is not where it needs to be, would you just take that first step to say, God, you know what my spiritual life looks like. And I'm humbly asking you to help me grow in it and to depend on you in a way that honors you and makes me more like Jesus. Let's bow our heads together for a moment as we pray. I want you to just take a moment and as I extended that call to commitment, maybe you're among those whose prayer life is vibrant and you're thankful for that. I want to encourage you just to thank the Lord for his grace in your life and how he supplied through that. But I, but I know enough to know that there are a lot of people in this room right now who would say, if they're honest, my life with God is not where it should be or where I want it to be. God will hear your prayer. He will 
meet you at your point of desire and he'll help you move toward him into the likeness of Jesus if you ask him. And as I've said today, this is all predicated on a relationship with Jesus. And there may be somebody here who's never repented of their sins and believed in Jesus Christ for salvation. Today could be the day of your salvation. It could be the beginning of your relationship with God that will last for all of eternity. Would you trust him now? God, thank you for the privilege of prayer. You've designed your life with us in such a way that we are to depend on you, that we're to make this a priority. And Father, I pray that we would receive all that you have intended for us in that grace upon grace that is super abundant and overflowing. I pray that your Holy Spirit would encourage every believer in this place today, every person listening to this message, and they would know that there is much to be experienced in life with you. And I pray that every one of us would know how deeply we are loved and how greatly we are cared for by our Father in heaven. And that we would, as we sang earlier, run to the Father and find everything that we need. God, we give this time of close and response over to you. May our hearts be soft towards you. May we look to Jesus as our example, as our model. And may, more importantly, we look to Jesus for our faith and that in him you would be glorified through us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.